We're going to be in Mark chapter 4. We're studying the gospel of Mark. We'll be in Mark from now until Easter. We'll have a great finish of the gospel of Mark. As it ends, we'll celebrate how the book ends. And if you haven't heard, um, stick around for the ending. It's amazing. Today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 for one of the longest sections of the teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Remember, we've been calling this the action-packed gospel, and it's a, really a collage of different events, healings, moments in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus, and the, the longer teachings are in the other synoptic gospels and in the Gospel of John. But in Mark chapter 4, we get a, a really decent-sized passage that is specifically addressing the teachings of Christ. And we're going to look at why Mark chose to emphasize what is often called the parable of the sower. And to do so, really, we're going to ask a question right now that is being answered through the teaching of Jesus to his audience. And to get to the question, it's Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, again, he began to teach by the sea. The ministry of Jesus was full of preaching and teaching. Remember, he comes on the scene in Mark chapter 1, and it says he's preaching the kingdom of the gospel, and throughout it, he teaches and preaches what he's all about. And we've titled this series in the gospel of Mark, The Way of the Lord. He's showing many people the way to live, and ultimately, the way that the Lord uh, decided to choose to build his kingdom through the salvation offered through the cross, but he's teaching. And as he's teaching, it says a great multitude was gathered to him. So great, in fact, no detail put into the Gospel of Mark without a reason. It says that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and a whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So just for a minute, imagine the scene, the historical moment that's happening in the ministry of Jesus. There's a giant momentum that has been happening, and you can imagine why. Everywhere he goes, he's preaching with power, which will create a momentum to want to listen to him, not with the authority, not like the scribes, but with this radical authority to teach. He's also healing. He's doing miraculous healing. He's also casting out demons. And he's also battling the religious people in some, in some moments where they're questioning all of the things that he's doing. So those things put together create quite a, a momentum to wherever he goes, people want to check him out. So much so that he's teaching in a way that doesn't even have room for him to address everyone without getting into a boat. This is not the first time that Jesus would do this, but imagine the scene. Crowds of people pushing him onto the beach. Eventually he gets into a boat. He's got like a floating pulpit, something that I would love to experiment with someday. So he's going to then address the multitude. And it says in verse 2, he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. He's going to use a teaching device called parable. He didn't invent it. He mastered it. A parable is essentially a down-to-earth story. So most of the parables that we read of Jesus are really simple ways to understand a very complex spiritual truth or heavenly reality in a down-to-earth way. So he's going to describe something that we can all grasp in everyday life, and, and this will be the parable of the sower, someone planting a farm or a garden. We can understand how that works, and he's going to teach it in a way to help us understand something that's more difficult to grasp. And here's the thing he's going to help us understand. Why is it that all of these people are coming to Jesus, but they're leaving with mixed results? 
The buildup to this moment is what I described. The, the preceding chapter shows that not all who were in the crowd were there to actually hear Jesus speak and be radically transformed in a way that would want them to become followers. Some of them were there to oppose him, to challenge him, to just see him out. Some of them were there just to get something from him. And so he, in all of the ways that he's radical, another radical way is he really didn't trust the crowd. He wasn't like giving himself a pat on the back and saying, I've really arrived. There's a couple more of these giant concert style preachings and we can march our way to Jerusalem and take over where the Romans left off. And it's like he didn't want to please the crowd. And so imagine all of this right now. Jesus looks at this and he's like, okay, some of you are with me, not all of you. And the question of the hour is, why is it that when the word goes out in his day, in all of the days preceding today, and of course in this sanctuary right now, why is it that some of you will hear the word of God preached and you'll receive it and it'll change your life. You'll be blessed by it. God will be glorified by the way he's shaping you through it and it'll bring you joy. And others of you can come to church. You've listened to sermons. You've listened to preachers. You've read the Bible and it does very little for you. You'll leave here today with the exact same plans, the exact same ideas, the exact same understanding of God as you came with, and you're not really gonna change anything about what you're doing with your life. So Jesus, in his audience, realizing that that's true, is gonna give us a parable to help us understand why that happens. Why is it that the teaching has mixed results? So to do that, he's going to give an everyday lesson, a, a way to grasp some mysterious spiritual reality in everyday life. And what's more every day than where we get our food from? You know, it's in their day, all of the audience could understand, yeah, to, to get food, you got to sow seed. Less so now, but all of you understand this, that to get something to come out of the ground, you got to plant Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You gotta water, you gotta have sunshine, and then you gotta figure out how to do it better and what to do with the results. So he's saying, okay, think about planting, harvesting, and that's the word of God in your life. And so first half of this, we're just gonna look at the story. And we're gonna stop where Jesus stops, which is surprising. It says in verse three, listen. One of the key phrases that Jesus is going to use to answer the question as to why some people get it and some people don't is the very first word of his sermon. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. So in their day, a sower has a little satchel or a pouch and he's got all of his little seeds and he just goes out to where this plot of land or the soil to where the, the garden and the farm is gonna plant the harvest is he's just throwing his seeds out. As it happened, he sowed some seed that fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. So what Jesus is going to do is describe some ways that seeds will fall on different types of soil. The first being a hard path. A wayside essentially is like a sidewalk of our day where people walk a lot, the path and the dirt gets hard, and it's not a great place to create seed germination because the seed doesn't go down, it stays at the surface level, and seed that is not buried makes great bird feed. We just, that's just a reality, we all know that. You've all probably taken seed and thrown it on some concrete, and you've seen at least pictures of all of the pigeons and the birds coming and saying thanks for lunch. 
And Jesus is essentially saying, as he's sowing, whether the wind brought it there or whether it was just some seed was supposed to go far out and it just lands, if it lands on the sidewalk or the wayside, it's going to get picked off and the, the birds are going to take it. So that's soil type number one. Then he says, verse five, some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. So soil type two, it doesn't have a lot of earth. It has some. It's got a very thin layer of topsoil and underneath the topsoil, surely you guys have all experienced this. It's just rocks and pebbles everywhere. And if you have an experience, go to Nampa and try to put in sprinklers. I had that job, miserable, two summers in a row. I was a trencher for a sprinkler job, and it was like first level, very easy, and then it was get the jackhammer out because to get more than two inches down, you're going to have to go through the bedrock that is Nampa. So if you just moved there and you haven't figured that out yet, welcome, call your real estate agent. <laughs> if that happens, it can produce some sort of life, but it can't go very deep. So what happens is it grows quickly because it's not going very deep and it springs out with no roots, the sun scorches it. Which is interesting because the sun actually does help the growth of the plant, but if it's got no roots, it's too much for the plant to endure and it gets scorched away and your plant will die. And then he says, but other seed, and some fell on thorns, and thorns grew up, verse seven. And they grew up and choked it and yielded, and it yielded no crop. So here's the third soil type. You've got some sidewalk seeds. You've got some topsoil seeds with rocks underneath. And then you've got some seeds that fall among pre-existing weeds. And unfortunately, one of the living parables about creation is weeds just grow better than everything else. It's one of the curses of the land right now is you guys are all great weed farmers. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. I'm a great weed farmer too. It takes very little cultivation. They'll grow everywhere. And because weeds grow so well, they have the ability to choke out the stuff that you actually want to grow. So if you've got weeds in your garden, what might happen is the plants that you're hoping to harvest didn't make it because all you grew was weeds. And then your weeds pollinate and they spread everywhere. And thank you for the mess that you're causing all of us now. And with that, of course, the lesson is in these first three soil types, you're not getting the thing. You're not getting growth from the seed. The seed's going into the ground. It's coming up, but it's not lasting. It's not creating the fruit that it was meant to give you. And so Jesus says, but because God is good, other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up. God has given us a way to grow food out of the ground. How awesome is God? You know, we live in this creation. If you get good soil and a seed falls and the right amount of water and sunshine hit it, we have food that literally comes out of the earth for us to consume. And it says that when that happens, it can produce more than you put in. That's just the reality. You can take a few small seeds and those seeds can grow into a crop that turn into more than what you started with. 30 fold, 60, and some 100. And so you guys who have heard this parable are already thinking ahead. Don't do that yet. Because I only want to take you as far as Jesus took his audience. That's how far he took them. He gave an entire sermon, not referencing any passage of scripture from the Old Testament. He's not giving any illustration on how this applies to God. He gives a sermon about a farmer, seeds that die and seeds that grow. And then he says in verse nine, and he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Good night, see you later, have a great time, paddle me back to shore, I'm done. That's the sermon. 
we think of it in terms of, of course, this is what it means. But it wasn't as obvious to his first listeners, to those who actually crowded around Jesus to hear him bring the teaching that changed their soul. They get this very confusing message about a farmer and seed and soil, and then he ends it. And it was confusing for them. I know that because of verse 10. It says, but when he was alone, meaning he closes the service, the worship band has come on, the boat goes back to shore, Jesus dismisses them to go pick up their kids from childcare, and then he goes to be by himself. And while he's by himself, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. So the 12 disciples find him alone, and others, as we know, they could see where the disciples were going, and like, they know where Jesus is, let's follow him. There were some that found him alone, and they actually asked him what on earth he was talking about. It was not clear in the moment it was preached. And it's important for us to understand that, because that was by design. And it's going to give us a start to the answer of the question of the hour is, why does the word sometimes miss the audience? It's by design. It says that he replies to them in their questions, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, that can be interpreted a couple ways. He's potentially inside, and some have sought him in a house where he was alone, and they've come in, and he's like, now that you're here, you're ready to hear what this actually means. Those who didn't find me here aren't gonna hear. It could also mean those who are not part of the kingdom. Those who did not seek and knock and find me teaching at the core of the mystery of the kingdom of God, they're never going to get this. For you it's been revealed, for those who are outside it hasn't. Why? So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Jesus, as he often does, is now going to quote from the Old Testament, give a point of reference as to what is happening in the administration of the Word of God. He quotes Isaiah chapter 6. For those of you who have read Isaiah, this is a famous moment in the ministry of Isaiah where he's essentially been cleansed by the, the, the holiness of God. He's ready to be sent. God sends him on a mission to be essentially a deliverer of the Word, a sower of the seed, as it were. And as God is sending him, he says, you are going to go to a people to tell them who I am so that they would turn their hearts to me and be revived lest they perish and they're not going to listen. How would you like that job? How would you like to be sent on mission and, and the, the, the word of the Lord says you go and you warn them and just know this, they're gonna hear but they're not gonna listen. They're gonna see but they're not gonna perceive. And Jesus is using that reference point as a way to help us understand why he taught in mysteries, in parables. It's because oftentimes those who receive the word of God, no matter how it's delivered, don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the warning of the prophet. They don't want to hear the call of the evangelist. They don't want to hear the word of God calling them and beckoning them to a relationship with God. They are going to reject it, so God brings it as a way not, fully, not only to reveal himself, but also to give a final judgment to people who had an opportunity. And of course, that happens all the time to this day, the word of God is being preached. You are hearing about the love of God, the power of the word of God, the plan of God for your life, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And yet, sometimes it's like, I actually don't come here to hear that. I'm not here to hear all of those things, so God says, okay, I'm gonna teach in such a way that you actually have to want to understand to understand. 
you actually have to seek a little bit farther than the obvious. In other words, God did not write a systematic theology book like a math equation on everything you need to know to follow him. And he didn't do that because it would not have mattered. Many people who are on the outside of a relationship with God say, well, if God would just write it on the sky, of course I'd believe. If God would just give me miracles like he gave other people, of course I would believe. If God would plainly say to me, audible voice, burning bush, speak to me in a dream, then I would believe. And if only they studied the Bible, they would know that people who experience God in that matter don't always believe. People in the ministry of Jesus, he's, imagine the picture, Jesus Christ is preaching. Jesus himself is healing and casting out demons, and yet there are some who are not there to actually receive him. They saw everything front row and personal, and it did not turn their evil hearts towards God. It hardened them even further to reject God. So Jesus says, I'm actually going to teach in such a way where people will have to come seek me to find the reality of it. So the parable is meant to do two things. For those of you who want to know God, you will ask questions, and you will seek, and you will knock, and it will be revealed. To those of you who do not want to know God, you want to know religion, you want to know the person that invited you here a little bit better, you want to get a pat on the back for something that you've done in the name of God, it will not be revealed, it will be your judgment. You came and you never actually had ears to hear. And so now Jesus is going to explain how all of that aligns with a sower sowing seeds. And he's going to give us four soil types matching four conditions of the heart. The parable meant to bring a mystery of heaven to down-to-earth story. And it is a mystery, in fact. Why the word of God can bounce off your heart and you would remain dead in sin rather than alive to God. Four soil types, four hearts. It's really interesting as, I, as, as we study this, it's like we're about to get a survey for the soul. Undoubtedly, as you read this in your own time or as you heard this, if you hear this sermon ever preach, you're going to think, who am I? And it aligns very well with it's either something about our culture that really appreciates these ways to do self-discovery, or it's just the human condition that God has made since the beginning that is at least 2,000 year old. But we love self-reflecting surveys. I don't know why. And it's just a reality. How many of you seen the which Disney princess are you survey types? It's like, and it sounds, sounds silly, but you clicked on it. Why, why did you care which Disney princess you were? Women, men, you've never taken that one. <laughs> but you did take the which Star Wars character were you? <laughs> My son and I recently did the which Ninja Turtle are you? And he's just like, wow, which one am I? And I think it might be touching a nerve in your heart because deep down inside, we want to know who we are. We want there to be some way for us to measure and contrast who we are against a way to, to judge it. And this is what's happening in this parable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give you a survey of what it looks like to listen to the word of God. And it's going to give some realities that aren't always favorable, but we can listen to them and think, that's me. That's, that's what I do. And as you listen to this, what we're trying to do is say, how do I become a soil or a heart that God can actually reach.
And so we listen to our options now. In verse 13, he starts with a, essentially an explanation of the sower and the seed. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The parables are like a doorway into the kingdom. you got to knock on it. And Jesus is saying the parable of the sower and the seed is like a key to unlock the rest. In other words, how you respond to the word of God. Which soil type you are is going to tell you how you respond to all of the other mysteries of the kingdom of God that are revealed through stories. How you respond to the word of God is a key to let you know how you're responding to the will of God in your life. He says you got to get this one as a key to the rest. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. So that's the first uh, unlocking of the, the story in, par in paralleling with how Jesus is going to interpret it for our heavenly life. The seed is the word of God, and the sower sows the word. And I'm so grateful for that simple explanation of the priorities of the sower and the seed. Nothing is said about the sower. In fact, we can make an assessment that the sower is, is, is really given a lot of grace to sow however he can. There's no condemnation for some of those seeds that fell on the sidewalk or on the wayside. There's no condemnation. There's no, man, this sower was an idiot. He should have been more efficient with the seeds. What Jesus is explaining is it's all about the seed. The seed is what represents life that can turn into more life. And what we say this morning, which is a burden lifted for a preacher, it's also a burden lifted for any of you who are new creations in Christ now called to be ambassadors or those who speak on behalf of God to sow his seed, pleading with the outside world to come in. Here's the burden lifted. It's really not about the sower. It's about the seed. And the seed will be cast liberally and broadly, and there's no condemnation on where it lands. It is the exaltation of the seed as the power of the word of God that brings the life. And so, again, burden lifted. I'm so grateful as someone who stands behind a pulpit on a stage that it's really not about me. There's no sermon that could be so eloquent that it could defy the laws of the conditions of the soil. There's no sermon as, as exciting as we can make sermons, as, as funny as they can be, and as great illustrations and stories. The only hope that we have is that somewhere in the sermon, the power of the word of God goes out. And then you know what really matters? For a sermon to be effective, for a preaching of the word of God to have any fruit in your life, you know what really matters more than what I say and my stories and how boring or exciting I am? You matter. Your heart matters. How you enter into this sanctuary and the expectation you have for the word of God is what will matter in your receiving of the word. And I know that to be true. There are times where I have absolutely relied on the grace of God. God, I got nothing, but if you take my, my, my words like fish and loaves and multiply them and you'll use them, you'll have someone come down and say, that is exactly what I needed to hear. And there's other times it's like, wow, God gave me grace this week. I have 30 hours to write the best sermon and it's just casting seeds to no one. It's the word of God, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit to ready your heart to receive it. So now the question is, how is your heart? Verse 15, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. This is to parallel the first soil type 
The wayside is the sidewalk. The word of God never penetrates beyond the surface. It's received at a surface level. It never goes anywhere near the heart. It never goes anywhere near your life. It's never applied. It's never accepted. It's never meditated upon. It's never something that you experiment with, ask questions about. It is the word of God goes out and you're not even listening. Years ago, when I first started preaching, I had a substitute preacher come and it was his very first sermon. And back in the old district days, we didn't have any amplification. So before he started preaching, he said, can everyone hear me? And he looked in the front and was, yeah, we can hear you. He said, in the far back, can you hear me? And everyone kind of raised their hand. And then he, he looked in the far, far back. He said, sir, can you hear me? And he lifted his face up from his phone. And he said, it doesn't matter because I won't be listening. <laughs> and I thought, that's the most honest guy in here. <laughs> wow, what an answer. What an answer that was. What a difficult sermon it was to preach. It's like, okay, now that we've gotten that out of the way, let us preach to those who would listen. But... If you were honest, and I surveyed you now, there are some who could say the same thing. Can you hear me as I preach the word of God that is meant to bring an abundant life, to multiply what you have in your life, to make it for God's glory and your joy? Can, I hear, can you hear me? Can you listen? And you'd raise your hands. But some of you, if you were being honest, you would say, I'm not listening. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you tell me about my deadness to sin and my opportunity for the free gift of God to bring me life. I'm not going to listen to you. And there's a couple reasons that that might be your heart condition. One is that this is also paralleled to how way, waysides were made. High traffic area. If a, if a wayside is formed, it's because someone has been walking that path day after day after day after day. And isn't that true sometimes of the way we harden our heart to newness of life? I've got a message that could change your life. And you're like, I don't want my life changed. I come to Sunday. I never think about it again until next week. And then Monday through Friday, I work. And on Saturdays, I watch sports. And on Sunday, I watch it again. And I'm not looking for change because I'm living in the routine of life that has formed a wayside in my heart. There's another reason it can happen. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, Speaking of the hardness of heart, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you who have an evil heart of unbelief, departing from the living God. But here's the answer. Exhort one another daily. Encourage one another while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's sometimes what can happen as we start to stiff arm, become stiff-necked to God, as the Bible will say is that we have our own way. We've given our life over to our desires, the enticement of sin that we have been led astray by. And so sometimes bitterness, sometimes undealt with uh, unrighteousness in our life. As the preacher gets up, it's like, I'm actually not listening because I'm in no condition for the word of God to be applied to my life because we're not on speaking terms right now. So as we think about the cause, we can begin to think about the solution, which oftentimes, solution to life, repentance. Hardness of heart. It's like the hardness of a sidewalk. It needs the water, the refreshment, the renewal that comes from turning from our sin and to God. Soil type number two. And these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. 
Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. This is, remember, soil type number two in the sermon that Jesus actually preached. There was no root system. There was nothing going deep. It was just a thin, tiny little layer of topsoil, but the root had no system, and it sprang up quickly because it wasn't going down. It went up. And what happened? The sun comes out and scorches it. The sun, in this instance, is actually persecution, tribulation, hard times for the word's sake. So here's what could happen in in this season or uh, condition of the heart. The Bible sounds great upon hearing in the safety of the sanctuary, in the joy of your devotional time, in the excitement and the emotion of the concert or the outreach event, at the altar call when you're crying tears of joy for God and you receive it with gladness, but here's the danger. Your receiving of the word must go beyond that one emotional time. It can't simply be when the lights were down and the song was up and the preacher got in and you get an emotional sermon and you receive it and you're like, this is great. Because what will happen undoubtedly, as a promise from God, life is waiting for you after the song ends. After you've done the altar call, you have to go. You don't just live at the stadium. You have to go back to the streets. You have to go back to reality. And Jesus said, don't be surprised when trouble comes your way, but take heart, I've overcome. So one of the dangers is that you may think that the joy of heaven and the reality of eternity is so good that you sign up for it and you don't realize that with it comes much suffering, that this side of eternity is going to be hard. And as soon as it gets hard, you think, this is not what I signed up for. So if you're there, let me do my best to to reach through and maybe clear some rocks. You need the sunshine, the heat that comes, the hardship that comes is actually how you grow in the faith. The sun came and beat on it. When your root system goes down, trials and difficulty and tribulation and the state of the world that seems so chaotic and the state of the church that seems so difficult and the things in your workplace and in your family that are so hard are actually going to be good for you, like sunshine on a plant. So be ready for it. As it says in James, look for those things with joy that the trial and the trying and the perseverance with patience is actually completing you. It's growing in you. There is no growth without sunshine. And there is no Christianity, no following Jesus without trouble. So I'm so grateful for last week as it just, it just got us so ready. It primed the pump for today. Last week, we looked at the persecuted church and two women sat on this stage and shared stories of radical faith that blasted through the trials and the tribulations, and it was so exciting. The feedback was like, man, how good is God? How amazing is their faith? And the reason that it was exciting to hear is because it's what you were made for too. You were made to know Jesus in such a way that whatever the world throws at you becomes an opportunity to grow unto his glory and endure to the perfect testing of your faith. So we got to, the Lord is setting the table for us to go through much sunshine as believers. And then it says, verse 18, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, 
the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. If you were looking for titles for the soil conditions, you might say a hard soil or a hard heart. You might say a surface or shallow soil or shallow heart. It's not actually going deep. And then you might say a divided heart. A heart that is receiving the words on Sunday morning from the word, and by Monday morning, you're receiving all the words from the world. And you're scrolling, and you're looking, and you're listening to all of the voices from the world that will tell you other ways to live, other ways to grow, other ways to be blessed, other ways to live life unto success. And what Jesus says is that a house divided can't stand. The word of God mixed in with the word of the world will be like planting seeds into weeds. Because in the end, the wisdom of this world, the riches of this world are like weeds. They grow and they wither away and they're gone. And Jesus says, do not live for the treasures of this world, but cast up your treasures in heaven. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So we have these three soil types. Some of you listen to the word and you, you leave divided. This is good advice on Sunday, but you don't remain in it. And the life gets choked away by the weeds of this world. I can't decide which soil type best describes the culture that God placed us in. Probably because it's so clear that as our culture gets farther and farther and farther away from God, we see all of these in increasing numbers. More and more people with a hard heart to the voice of God. More and more people that don't want anything to do with the word of God in their life. Completely wayside and wayward. And we also see a rise in our day farther from God, uh, less interest in Christ, and more fickle faith. Receive it for a little bit and move on with your life. We live in a whole generation of people who sprang up at a youth group or sprang up at a college age or sprang up at the evangelist outfit. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, Christianity was horrible. I hated it. It was hard and difficult. It ripped me off. And more and more. We have intermingled within the church and intermingled within the Christian life a, a vision for following Jesus that includes a vision for everything else. You receive Jesus gladly because you receive everything gladly. And the winds of doctrine blow through and we're tossed to and fro like waves in an ocean. And so then we come now to the hope that Jesus leaves with his audience and the hope that we have. He says, but there is good soil. It's unique. It's 25% of the soil types. But verse 20 says, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So as we look at each one of these, we're looking for, as we take the survey, indicators of the soil types. And the first three give us some pretty clear pictures. You got thorns, you got little rocks under the soil, and you got a sidewalk. Soil type number four, less so. He really doesn't explain what makes the soil good, except for, he says, if you hear the word of God and accept it. So that's kind of the answer to the question. The soil's good because you listened. Well, why did you listen? What makes the soil good? So for lack of concrete answer, we look for an inference. And here's the inference. 
The good soil is the soil that isn't the other three. The good soil is the soil who, by God's grace, has overcome a hardness of heart. He has broken the soil up. He's, there's, there's, you've found a way to break the routine, the everyday Monday through Sunday, the bitterness that exists in your heart to reject God that has been broken and you are now in poverty of spirit receiving. The good soil is not surface level. The good soil is, is willing to receive the word of God and endure with the word of God. The good soil does not expect Sunday to solve all of your problems. The good soil does expect the world to throw trials at you. In the form of the world, the flesh, and the devil, the good soil knows that the word of God will give you victory for the trials that are bound to come. And the good soil is also a soil that is holy and undivided for the trust that it has in God's word and God's word alone. It is not divided, it is not shallow, and it is not hard. That is the good soil. And so as we listen to this, we think, I hope, as a preacher, I hope that we think, how do we get there? Psalm chapter 51 is the ultimate psalm of repentance. It's the psalm that you read as you're going through times in your life where the word of God has been ripped away. Times of your life where the sidewalk truly has been broken. Times in your life where the trial has come and you stumbled and you fell. And in Psalm chapter 51, in his repentance, King David repenting to God, he says, God, create in me a clean heart. The beginning plea for those of you who actually want to experience the promise of Scripture, that when you receive, accept, and live the Word of God, you will bear spiritual fruit. You will experience the joy of the kingdom, the satisfaction of the kingdom, the no-condemnation, amazing set freed attitude of the kingdom. And it will grow in you. And to receive that, you must have first and foremost a desire for God to reach into your heart and cleanse it of the other three things. For those who have ears to hear, let him hear. For those who have ears to hear, will you hear when Jesus says, come, seek, find knock that the door would be opened. Every week, we, I do my very best to, at the very moment where we, we get these light bulb moments, to exalt the gospel. To say that when you come to church, you are going to hear some bad news. That we have hard hearts, that we can go distant from God, that we can listen to the word of God to no effect, and it can, our life can stumble and it can fail in persecution. We can have a hard heart. That's bad news, but there's good news. And the good news is that God desires for you to receive the word and grow and bear fruit. Look at what it says in James chapter 1. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything in your life comes from God. Every good thing from God. It comes down from the Father's lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. It means he desires, as this word is, is sown this morning, and I liberally cast it out. And some of you, it's bouncing off your heart. 
Some of you may receive it and leave. Some of you are tangled up in the mess of the world, and some of you receive. He desires that you would receive in his own will. His will is that none would perish, but all would have life. His desire is that you would receive the word of God and you would bear much fruit because your abundant life brings him glory. That people would see your life and say, wow, whatever they're doing, whatever book they go by, whatever their philosophy of life is, is working for them. And then you become a sower of seed. And it's not just in the book of James. Oftentimes, this is where the sermon ends. They say, okay, what survey are you? Or what soil type are you? Take the survey. But this is not where Jesus ends the explanation. He says, in verse 21, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not set to be on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden which will not be revealed, nor anything been kept secret that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying is, I didn't come as the light of the world to hide the light. I don't teach in parables so that you wouldn't get it. I'm not trying to reveal the, or, or conceal this in a mystery so that I could put the light of the world under a basket. I'm putting it on a lampstand for anyone who wants to see it. All you have to do is seek. You have to knock. You have to desire God so that he can answer the hungry call of a child for bread and freely give you the word of truth according to his own desire that you would grow in the perfect will of God for your life. And then he says, Nothing is hidden which will not be revealed, nor anything been kept secret, but it should all come to light. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and you who hear, more will be given. Now here's the joy of the fruit that grows 30, 60, 100 fold. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That verse is supposed to help us understand the word and the sower and the soil. What you have, more will be given. You're faithful with the word of God and it's given to you and you're growing. You're ready for more. He's ready to bless more of your life. He's ready to reveal more mysteries on how to live a life abundant, full of joy. And what's not used will be taken from you. You've been sitting under the preaching of God's word for months and years and just never use it. God is stopping your growth right there. You're not going to get the joy of all that he has for you in his perfect will if you're not willing to receive the word and allow it to grow in your heart. This is the answer for a generation of believers who wish that God was on the move more and more and more. Receive the word. Hear the word and accept it and live it out. And as the word grows in your life, you will receive more of the goodness of God in your life. This is the answer to a revival of a single soul. To overcome all of the ways that slowly we fade away from God and don't hear his word towards receiving the word and growing in God that he would give us more and more and more so that this Sunday you grow in the word. And then you read the word and it's like, Lord, I never even knew that. The word says that you can search your whole life, height, depth, width, length, to know the love of God. It surpasses all of your understanding. The love of God, the person of God in your life is a lifelong pursuit, and word by word by word, he wants to give you more and more and more of himself. That is what this is teaching us. For those of you who have ears to hear, may you hear the joy of the revelation of God's life in you more and more and more. And for those of you who maybe only heard up until the point you saw your own soil, 
Create in me a clean heart, Lord, that I would begin to receive your word and grow.